What we desire as humans living in the 21st century is freedom. We do not want to be told what to do. And I cannot just place this idea in the 21st century because I also see this with three-year-olds. I was just with my nephew in Portland. We were having Shabbat dinner with my sister. And as all of, as all of us were finishing eating, we noticed that my nephew had eaten nothing. All of the prodding and the begging and the pleading and the bargaining with him, he had failed to eat. And that's when I remembered the old trick that I used to use with my kids. I turned to my sister, and in a loud voice I said to her, I hope he does not eat. He better not eat his dinner. And as those words landed on his ears, suddenly the sparkle showed up in his eyes. And now he knew what we did not want him to do. And he was positive that that is exactly what he was going to do. He reached down with this huge grin on his face, grabbed a huge piece of broccoli, shoved it in his mouth, and he said, Uncle Ryan, look, I'm eating. The only way to accomplish our goal was to make him think that it was not our goal, but his goal. And then he did it. It's a little manipulative. But, you see, we had a reason. We knew, as all parents know, that we were getting dangerously close to hanger o'clock. And the tantrum, it was just on the horizon. He needed to carry out a behavior, eating in this case, in order to have an emotional reaction, being at peace and not tantruming. But there was no way to convince him of this. But we knew that he needed this. Now, after the fact, you can easily ask the question, how do you feel? And the child will tell you, good, and they would agree that this was the right course of action was to eat. Now, in many respects, living in an individualistic 21st century society, most of our behaviors are based off of choice. And we choose to act because of how we feel. We lead with our feelings and not with our behavior. We can think of all the ways that we have made choices because our feelings compel us, even though, in hindsight, we knew we should not have done what we did. Or conversely, we do not engage in behaviors because we are not motivated to do so. We may intellectually know what we're going to feel like after we exercise, but we don't exercise. We know what it feels like to come to services, but it's too much of a schlep, and then we don't make it. As we have moved away from living in, within a communal structure of a village where we would share water from a well, where we would do our laundry together, and have retreated off the streets into our fortresses that now have running water, we have laundry mats inside of our houses, we even have mini theaters that we call TVs. And so we become more and more motivated by individual emotions instead of communal pressures for behaviors. And in some respects, this can be good. But in many ways, the ease of doing what we desire as an individual has taken away our ability to experience events we would not normally choose. This past few weeks, I have been with Cantor Luck at Camp Newman, where nearly 1,000 kids over the summer have been forced into a communal experience 
of grieving. Since October 9th, when Camp Newman burned to the ground in Santa Rosa, thousands of kids have looked at pictures through their screens of the destroyed camp, but the experience lay dormant until this diaspora community reconvened in Vallejo, on the edge of the bay where tears were a regular occurrence across every age demographic. As people spoke of what that sacred space meant to them and to their identity. They've taken the nicknames of the locations at the Santa Rosa site and attributed them to the new site at the Cal Maritime Academy so that the memory would persist. And it has. And then, in my first week there, Tisha B'Av came, the day where we as a Jewish people remember the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Now, how many of you spent that day crying over the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70? That is exactly what I thought. It's not surprising. The progressive Jewish community have recognized this day less and less over time. To where now few are even aware that this major holiday, and it is a major holiday, is even upon us. And this is the case at Camp Newman as well. Tisha B'Av is barely recognized holiday during the summer every single year. But something remarkable happened this year. When I sat down with the high school students and brought out the text that described the temple before it was destroyed, and then how the Jews wept and felt about their sacred space of Jerusalem and the temple being destroyed, the teens were enraptured with the text. And the silence in the room was only broken by one of the students crying. As her story touched our greater Jewish story of the temple, which happened 2,000 years ago, like a wire connecting two points in time separated by thousands of years, but now finally reunited. She understood it. It took us carrying out the behavior of honoring the loss of the past that enabled the emotions of the present to make a bridge. These moments as progressive Jews have become more and more rare as we continually lead with how we feel instead of showing up and engaging with something that we do not understand in our hearts, but we think we understand in our heads. And as a result, we become deeply disconnected from our tradition because we only plug in when we feel like it's right. Not surprisingly, the holiday which still elicits a massive amount of Jews showing up and engaging is Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. In a few weeks, it'll, only be, it'll be standing room only in this room. Why? Because it's the only Jewish holiday in our entire year that is not about an event external from us. The event on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is not an external historical event or a commemoration of a temple. The event which we are celebrating and examining is us. It's the one holiday that year after year elicits a profound emotional reaction because we know the event intimately. And it's one of the only times we get to truly dedicate days to examining what we're doing with our lives. 
So our feelings demand that we show up, and we do so by the thousands. Now, the Torah is aware of this, that as Jews, we naturally tend to lead with emotion instead of behavior. And as a result, we do not always, do not always make the wisest choices. When we're receiving the Torah at Mount Sinai, the Jews say, Ma'asev and Ishma, that we will do the mitzvot, and then we'll understand the mitzvot. Now, this drove the rabbis crazy. How could we agree to adopt and accept the entire Torah without even understanding what it said? This is the wisdom of Judaism. Much in life we do not understand until we do it. My nephew could not understand that eating was going to change his mood until he did it. I could not understand what it meant to be a father when Elisa ran up to me with this huge smile on her face announcing that she was pregnant, waving that stick in there with the little line across. In order to understand what it meant to be a father, I had to experience sleepless nights. I had to experience scary visits to the ER, seeing your child get picked on for the very first time, hit their first baseball at one of their Little League games, and then watch them grow up and into their own skin. I had to do fatherhood first, and then I understood it. You have to do Judaism first before you understand it. But the question that we must ask ourselves as we stand on the eve of Elul, as we gear up to reflect back on our lives, on our Jewish lives, and ask ourselves, how much are we missing out on? Because we're leading with our emotions instead of our behavior. When we show up, when we engage, we're often surprised by what we never even knew was there. But it takes a conscious effort to choose to lead a life with behavior followed by emotion versus emotion followed by behavior. We are a people for thousands of years that have led with the mantra day in and day out, ma'aseh, Vinishma. We will do it, and then we will understand it. Shabbat Shalom.